Here's something interesting. With the demise of the INF Treaty, only one nuclear arms agreement remains in place between the U.S. and Russia, and it's set to expire in 2021. Are we headed for another arms race, and what would that look like in the 21st century? Hi there, I'm Chris Oaks. Welcome to the Here's Something Interesting podcast, where we talk to interesting people with interesting things to say about interesting subjects. And I got to say, as I sit down to record today's episode of the podcast, it is a beautiful afternoon where I live in Northwest Ohio. And so just to let you know, occasionally you may hear the sound of the wind rustling through the leaves or the cars driving by on the street outside because I have the studio window open here. It was just too nice of a day to resist. So if you hear a little ambient noise there, uh, that's what it's all about. I want to talk about a very serious subject today because this past weekend, a story that really didn't get a whole lot of attention in the news There were a couple of reasons for that, obviously, with the shootings in El Paso and Dayton dominated the news headlines this past weekend. And the other reason why this didn't get a whole lot of play is that uh, this was something that actually was announced was going to happen several months ago. But over the weekend, it officially happened. The U.S. officially withdrew from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty or the INF Treaty. That was the one that was signed by President Reagan and then-Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev some 30-odd years ago. It was a move that the Trump administration announced in February, I believe it was. So, again, it came as no surprise, but it does mean that now only one nuclear arms control treaty remains in place between the United States and Russia. And that is the New START Treaty, and that one is set to expire as early as 2021. So given that together the U.S. and Russia account for 90% of the world's nuclear warheads, what would a treatyless world between our two superpowers look like? Our guest today is Vincent Manzo. He is a research scientist at the nonprofit research and analysis organization CNA. They are located in Arlington, Virginia, so right there outside the Beltway. Vincent, are we headed for another Cold War-style armament race? Well, I, I hope not. I, I think the United States and Russia have, have a tradition of relying on arms control treaties to uh, reduce suspicion and fear between them and, and help each country uh, have confidence that it, its military forces are sufficient uh, today and into the future for meeting its security objectives. Now, as, as you said, uh, there's some, some big uncertainty about the future of, of U.S.-Russia nuclear arms control, particularly uh, what will come after the new START treaty when it does expire, which could be either February 2021, 2026, or sometime in between. Uh, but based on the study we did, uh, there are some real risks if we don't have a nuclear arms control treaty, but there are also some options uh, for U.S.-Russia cooperation outside of a treaty framework for avoiding, as you said, a, uh, a, a new uh, arms competition. What would those options be absent a formal treaty? Well, so under the, the New START treaty, we have a set of limits, numeric limits, on uh, long-range nuclear forces, and we have a transparency regime and a verification regime that... Uh, gives both countries great insight into what the other is doing with its nuclear forces. 
so essentially what you could do is even if you don't have have these provisions through a legally binding treaty the United States and Russia could agree that they are are going to continue to abide by the new start limits because it's in both of their interests to do so mm-hmm. and they could continue to cooperate to provide each country uh, a window of transparency into their nuclear forces these are things we could continue doing in slightly different forms outside of a treaty framework provided both countries are willing to cooperate to do so and and it would really help ensure that uh, both countries still have some confidence and some insight into the other's posture, even if there's not a a legally binding treaty in place. What is the likelihood of that actually happening, though? Because uh, as the administration pointed out, one of the reasons why they invalidated the INF treaty is that Russia was out of compliance and had been for many, many years. Uh, You talk about treaties uh, lowering that suspicion and fear, but if one side is not going to abide by them, aren't they meaningless to begin with? That's, that's a great question. So, and the situation with the New START treaty is very different than the situa- situation with the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. Russia was in material violation of, of the the INF treaty and showed no signs that they were going to come back into compliance. So, I think the United States was in a, a pretty tough position and, and uh, had to decide that it was going to withdraw because, as you said, the treaty wasn't serving its purpose. It wasn't mm-hmm. didn't have any real value. Right. With New START, they are in compliance, and we don't take their word for it or rely solely on trust. That's We have that verification regime, so it, our assessment that they're in compliance is based on, on you know, raw data that we gather through our own uh, collection efforts uh, through the verification regime and through our own our own intelligence gathering. Mm-hmm. So you had asked what the, the likelihood of, of any kind of cooperation outside a treaty framework would be, and I think... Uh, we don't know, but we, it's important to know what the possibilities are. And so I could envision a future where the United States and tr- uh, Russia try to negotiate an, another treaty and, and are unable to reach a, an agreement uh, because, for instance, uh, Russia wants another treaty to cover missile defense systems, which, which the United States doesn't want to include in a treaty, and because the United States wants Russia to wants to include uh, shorter-range nuclear weapons in Europe in another treaty, and Russia is not interested in that at the moment. So. That could prevent us from reaching an agreement on another treaty, but it doesn't mean we don't have any shared interest in cooperating uh, despite that, right? We could fail to, to get a legally binding approved treaty, but it doesn't. we still have uh, real interest in trying to avoid a nuclear arms competition. Yeah. All of that assumes that the leadership on both sides are interested in doing so. Is there anything to indicate that uh, either the Trump administration, or particularly the uh, Putin regime, uh, are interested in coming to some sort of uh, agreement? Because I think that's what most people fear uh, the most. I agree. and I, So I think uh, both countries have shown that they, they do want to continue to cooperate to reduce suspicion and fear. And, and the question is whether they can find some common ground mm-hmm. uh, to do that, whether it's within a treaty or outside of a treaty. Uh, but what our study shows is that there are real risks for both countries if, if there's no arms control cooperation whatsoever. Uh, both countries are going to have incentives to in- increase their deployed forces under those circumstances, and both countries are going to have less insight into what the other is doing. Yeah. And, and both countries are going to face some, some broader global risks as well with the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty um, because they have, the United States and Russia have a uh, 
obligation under that treaty to work towards disarmament in good faith and, and cooperating with each other is one way that they do that. You talk about the global uh, situation, and obviously you look at INF, which dates back to 1987. The world is a very different place now than it was then. Yeah. Even uh, the uh, New START, which uh, dates back to 2010, uh, we're in a very different place globally than we were even 10 years ago. Uh, how do other nations, such as particularly China, North Korea, uh, all of these other nations kind of fit into this puzzle? Great question. Uh, China has a smaller nuclear force than the United States and Russia, but they're modernizing. They're, they're modestly expanding its size. They're increasing its sophistication. And, and certainly as we, we look out into a world where there's possibly no treaty and the United States and Russia are increasing their forces, I think that puts additional pressure on China to expand its arsenal as well. Mm-hmm. And the United States has long tried to to, to have a, a more mature nuclear relationship with China where, where our governments get together and talk about nuclear policy and strategy and capabilities and plans. Um, so far, it hasn't succeeded, but, but certainly that's uh, one area for progress is, if, is trying to put that relationship on a more predictable path because China's arsenal uh, is certainly a factor that's going to affect both U.S. and Russian planning as well. Now, North Korea is also a great question. Um, in, in many ways, they're a driver of a lot of the instability we see in the, in the nuclear landscape. And mm-hmm. I'll give you one concrete example. The U.S. homeland missile defense system, which, which Russia is very worried about, is intended to provide protection against North Korean ballistic missiles, uh, which, which are improving and, and they're making progress. So uh, one of the reasons that we're seeing the potential for the end of U.S.-Russia treaty-based arms control is, is that uh, we are adapting our own capabilities to the North Korea threat, and, and of course, Russia has concerns about the, the capabilities we're fielding to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, it is a very complicated puzzle, as you said. And not only uh, would any kind of modern-day arms race between the U.S. and Russia put pressure on China, but also on North Korea and on Iran, and uh, so you can see in that kind of worst-case scenario uh, some very dark days. Uh, yes, there's some real potential risk there, and that's one of the reasons we did the study is that, look, if you can't have... Uh, these traditional treaties that the United States and Russia have re- relied upon for such a long time, there's other things that they might be able to do in order to reduce suspicion and fear and uh, avoid an, an armed competition. And there are other other ways we might engage China, even if we don't have formal treaties in place. All of that, of course, depends on uh, trust, on willingness. And uh, as all of this, we're discussing all of this, the, the clock is ticking. Uh, so that's kind of what what I hear you is uh, saying is that we have some work to do here between now and the time that this right. new START treaty uh, is set to expire. Again, uh, Vincent Manzo is a research scientist at CNA uh, with us this morning. Can folks uh, learn more about this uh, research that you were talking Talking about and referencing with respect to this issue? Yes, absolutely. Our report is available uh, to the public on the CNA website, which is www.cna.org, and anyone can can go ahead and, and visit the website and download the report and read it if they're interested. Certainly, an issue that will impact all of us, uh, no question. Vincent, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for having me. Boy, a lot to think about there. And if you found this topic interesting, we can discuss it on the Here's Something Interesting Facebook page at Something Interesting Podcast. Hope to meet up with you there. I'm Chris Oaks. If you enjoy the Here's Something Interesting Podcast, if you just happen to stumble across it, uh, we would love for you to subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. 
Also invite you to like our Facebook page, share it with your friends that might find this stuff interesting as well. And once again, thanks for listening.